BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Smart journalism, fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish. Streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Taylor Swift and Bruce Springsteen lead to congressional Ticketmaster legislation? And Sia's movie controversy. You're listening to The Biz Biz Tape. Welcome to The Biz Tape, your all things music business and media podcast. I'm your host, Colin McKay. My lovely host, Coast to Coast, Joseph Wazowski. Joe, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. I feel like I'm always invited on like Fallon. <laughs> Whenever I, we're starting. That, that would be Where really it's like I feel Fallon. like such a, 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 a amazing guest to be invited back. I feel like week Fallon, after week. Fallon does this thing where his intro is always like, you may have seen them on photography worldwide and music videos are us. Welcome to Fabulous. Joey Wazaleski, he's always screaming. Thank you. I don't know why. Yeah, Thank that's always you. what it is. I like music videos RS. I'm gonna trademark that. Music videos sure RS. I won't get into any legal issues. <laughs> why that. that company fell down? <laughs> I don't know who bought that trademark. Somebody did. I remember. I feel like they still have. I I wonder. I mean, this is off topic, I guess. But I wonder, like, when those companies fail, who, like, do those trademarks are are they still maintained at all? I feel like they have to be. Because like there's still checks. Oh, they have to. You have to keep stuff. maintaining that you're still using it. I mean, I'm sure if they're in the middle of the trademark period, like you know, there's somebody. There's especially if it's a big company like Toys R Us. You know, uh, welcome to the history of Toys R Us. By the way, this is our podcast yeah. about all Toys R Us lore and accurate things. Mm-hmm. What really happened to Jeffrey the giraffe? Anyway, the point is is that the trademarks have to be maintained. You know, you have to prove when you re-register your trademark that you've been actively using it. Obviously, Toys R Us mostly hasn't. And also, the other thing is when they go out of business, even though it's a failing business, people want the trademarks, right? So mm-hmm. they will go after them and they will try to prove that you did or did not. So I think, honestly, Toys R Us trademarks may be one of the few things other than, you know, the properties themselves that they owned that may have some value for them <laughs> and they can probably sell oh, yeah. them. 
which they would have to with chapter 11 bankruptcy. Anyway, moving on. So <laughs> Toys R Us news. Um, you can follow all your Toys R Us news at the biz tape pretty much everywhere. Sorry. It snuck that one in there. It's been a while. Um, let's talk about some interesting things. First, let's talk about this law in Congress that is one of the most wild titles I've ever seen for a law involving music. Uh, we're doing the Boss and Swift Act. You heard that right. Boss and Swift Act. Almost like two boss, girl bossing. Boss pedals? No, we'll get to what like it boss? means by boss. If you're from the state of New Jersey, <laughs> you can put together by it. Um, boss and Swift Act, who girl boss too close to the sun. Congress is proposing this new act. Yes, it's called the Boss and Swift Act. If you hadn't heard me say it about 12 times. And this is being proposed by U.S. Congressman Bill Passarelli Jr. and Frank Pallone Jr., and they've introduced into the House this bill, which is the Boston Swift Act, to bring transparency regulation to what they describe as the badly corrupt live events ticket market. Um, nice. You may have heard some a bunch of similar laws that are going through. There's one in Texas right now from Ted Cruz. Uh, there's another one that is in Massachusetts that is actually called the Taylor Swift bill, and this is not the same bill as that. This is actually in you know, the United States Congress, not just the state, uh, local congressional governments. Uh, but they all are covering around the same issues and we're going to get into that. So basically the boss and Swift act are named after you could probably guess it based on my hints, uh, Taylor Swift and Bruce Springsteen, you know, um, not boss pedals. Sorry. They could not get that one. <laughs> that would be fun. Anyway, these two artists, uh, we've actually talked about, a multitude of times on the show have experienced technical issues specifically with Ticketmaster and or live nation. Some of these issues, which you've probably heard about so many times, but I'm just going to rattle it off before we get into the law is that uh, the technical issues of Ticketmaster crashing over and over people losing their place in line, Ticketmaster rapidly changing the price on consumers last second and dynamic pricing that took some tickets to thousands of dollars from the get go. Um, the boss and Swift act will require mandatory all in pricing to ensure that the true ticket price is displayed clearly disclosed, clear disclosures of refund policies, transparency on the total number and cost of the tickets that will be offered for sale and preserving ticket transferability among others, which that last one, I am particularly interested as well as all of them, but that is an issue that not a lot of people bring up a lot. Uh, notably, these two congressmen with this bill have actually had a career, and this is the first bill in a while, uh, but they've had a career of critiquing Ticketmaster and Live Nation. The pair has introduced a law like this all the way. They've done it a couple of times, but the most notable one is in 2009. They tried to have almost an identical law passed, but it went nowhere. And uh, Pascrelli specifically was a huge advocate for opposing the Live Nation Ticketmaster merger and urging the Obama administration to reject it. But that would fail as in 2010. It's a broken record on this podcast, but Live Nation and Ticketmaster did join together. Um, so this is an interesting thing because we're seeing it on a congressional floor. A lot of people had predicted due to you know, I guess the power of the Swifties that this would eventually happen, but don't forget the boss. He's still here. Um, 
you know, he's just like everybody else, a blue collar guy. <laughs> Am I right, Joe? Anyway, <laughs> a blue collar guy with nine billion dollars in the yeah, bank right. account. Not nine billion, but close. No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he's he's just a regular guy. He's he's got his own legacy. He's a good. He's he's made some really good hits over the years. But the point is, is that those two were really some of the pinnacle cases of this last year of and early la- or late last year of you know absorbent ticket pricing. I mean, we had a whole coverage on the show about it and this is the first time we're seeing it on a congressional floor in close to 14 years. Uh, hopefully this will not get, you know, put under the rug like everything else. But if you're wondering, let's take a little preview into live nation before we kind of get into general discussion. So what the hell's going on with live nation? I'm glad you asked. So the point is, is that live nation president and CFO um, basically they talk to JP Morgan at a JP Morgan conference about the state of their business and live nation, the extreme mom and pop company that we all know them as is doing nothing short of fantastic. That's a joke. If you don't understand the point is, is that they are doing so well. Um, it is insane. I remember looking at that, that ticket, you know, stock price way back when the pandemic was, and I was like, maybe I'll buy the shares never did. And now I'm kicking myself every day. So yep. the point the point is is that let's get into <laughs> I the wish numbers. I could relate. <laughs> let's get into the numbers. Uh, Ticketmaster is just a very small amount year over year uh, up in revenue. They are up eighty nine percent in revenue year over year. So that means they made almost ninety percent more money than they did last year in Q one, making over two point two eight billion dollars in revenue. We're not even at the summer yet, folks. Um, 19 million fans attended Live Nation shows in Q1, which is up 73% from Q1 of 2022. So there is no lack of demand. <laughs> uh, they are making money hand over fist. Laughably, which I thought was hilarious, is this information I'm going to say is separate from the information that I was talking about with the uh, Taylor and or Boston Taylor Act. Uh, or Boston Swift Act. Sorry, this is going to get really confusing. I'm about to call it the Girl Boss Act and move on. The Girl Boss Act. Um, basically, uh, Music Worldwide had this other article, which is where I'm pulling this information from, and they said that the ticketing division is up 41% year over year at $677.77 million. So, again, making more than I will ever see in my life. Music Business Worldwide puts it, this was on the strength of some big-name tours by artists such as Beyonce, Drake, and Bruce Springsteen. Sound familiar? The boss is back. Um, Who's the boss? (laughs) Anyway, when asked about AI, which I'm going to go into a non-sequitur here because this actually goes straight into one of the things that uh, this bill might be hitting. And honestly, I think maybe some of the root of the problems of some of the things that Ticketmaster is, uh, you know, being accused of having and readily shown that they have these problems. Uh, when asked about AI, uh, Birch told who's the president and CEO of live nation said, we have a lot of areas in Ticketmaster where we have used what we call machine learning. Like that's not a term we've never heard before <laughs> in our lives. Quote, we take a lot of data inputs and use them to figure out how to make life easier for everybody. Whoa, so, so like a computer or I, something? Dude, I'm literally, don't even get That's me started. That's crazy. <laughs> so to me, it's more of an infrastructure component that runs throughout Ticketmaster, which I'm wondering. Like a computer program? <laughs> 
that every company uses, you're talking about Excel. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, right. Um, but the point is, is that like, maybe we're seeing a reason why the ticketing experience is not the best ever and specifically not even going on the prices may crash a lot and do this stuff. We Maybe it's because of them trying to use this technology more readily. That's just kind of my theory. There's no evidence of that. But since they, they really hit on that they're heavily using it and it could be used for a lot of different experiences, which I might get in later when we talk about this generally. But yeah, that, that was one I was like, why are you talking about machine learning like this is like 1973 anyway the point is is that ai is being used to ticket master um how intensively i don't know it could be what joe's saying like an excel sheet the point is is that they are very interested in it and my my point is basically this may be where we're having some problems Moving to prices, because honestly, that's kind of the thing at the end of the day that, you know, the experience of buying them is bad, but then when you have a terrible experience buying them and then they cost an arm and a leg to get, that's a different story. Uh, Birchtold reiterated that Live Nation's position is that the company isn't against all attempts at regulating the ticketing business. In particular, Live Nation's Rapino has said he's in favor of efforts to introduce all-in ticket pricing where the advertised prices include all fees. So Ticketmaster is continuing, if you've been listening to the show for a while, to defend the use of dynamic pricing and actually has moved to a place where they are outwardly saying that the dynamic pricing is a necessity in today's world to prevent scalpers, the easy-to-go-to, blaming-for-everything thing for Ticketmaster. Um, Birchtold even went on to state that the multiple state bills, which... I was mentioning earlier, such as in Massachusetts and Texas uh, that are being pushed to ban dynamic pricing outright are being pushed by scalpers allegedly, which I was Mm. like, hello. And this is what he said. He goes, what's happening at the state level. Again, these are these state level bills that are trying to ban dynamic pricing is obvious that the scalpers have figured out that they're losing the federal battle. So they're trying to go and run around the states in the hope that they can sell a bill of some goods to some senators who don't understand the full picture. And you get some bills pop up. The vast majority of the time, pretty simple conversations by sports teams, by artists, their representatives explain reality and that bills get killed. And I'm like, hello? What was that slogan? Uh, He actually didn't say the bills get killed, but I just love that they put that in there to explain that music business worldwide. Anyway, so let's let's get into this a little bit. Scalpers and dynamic pricing. Joe, do you believe that dynamic pricing is intended solely to prevent scalping of tickets? Mm, no, <laughs> absolutely not. I, I think it's intended to make more money for Live Nation. And that's, it's, it's kind of uh, killing two birds with one stone where it's like it makes it harder for scalpers, but then it also gives them more money at the end of the day. And I think out of in, out of everything, uh, Live Nation is more worried about their income than they are about user experience. And it's kind of been showed time and time again. And I I, I feel like, I feel like ticket like Ticketmaster and Live Nation, like they understand that in the public perception view. Like everyone hates scalpers. Like scalpers are so vilified. 
They're also um, a vague, you know, faceless force that uh, is easy to they're blame for everything. They're a faceless force, but what's crazy is Ticketmaster used to be a scalper. <laughs> it's true. Before it got bought up. And so that's like another thing. It's like, ultimately, Ticketmaster got here because of scalping. And now since they're not the scalper anymore, they're the main promoter, it's completely shifted the way that their view on scalping has happened at this but point. Joe, kind of so many narrative. venues and promoters have a vast ability to choose what ticketing site they use, right? Yeah, except they don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because every venue ever has to use Ticketmaster and Live Nation. Like once you hit a certain threshold of capacity, all of those venues are using Live Nation, Ticketmaster. For if the they're not part. already owned by Live Nation, the venues. Yeah, exactly. Which most venues in America are at this point. Um, so to to say that they're trying to avoid scalpers and 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 also too like scalpers exist and it's not hurting their bottom line at all with these numbers. I mean, you you just listed their quarterly numbers. It's like they're bringing in record amounts of money, and so. To them, it's more of just like shifting the narrative, in my view, of like, look, we're good guys too. We also hate scalpers. Scalpers are bad. I just but like don't that look they in that closet right, right, with right. all the records of us with scalpers hanging out at the scalper conference in Canada <laughs> with all, with all this stuff. <laughs> it's just it's it's almost like insane the level of hilarity that it feels like when they say it feels like them as Ticketmaster are just going like there's nothing we can do we have no control of these prices it's just the way it is it's almost like like, it's almost like we we have to change the coding of the website (laughs) to reflect changes right to the pricing which we don't know how that works it's just it's the algorithm all hail the algorithm. So, okay, I guess I got to play devil's advocate as always. Do I think that dynamic pricing does deter scalpers? In some ways, yes. Um, I can imagine that if you're trying to, you know, you have a computer program, you got like a thousand desktops just ready to go to click on Ticketmaster.com, run a program, go through all the, you know, different things to click on to buy Taylor Swift tickets, right? That, that is a problem, right? Um, man, if only there was a huge force in the United States that has a lot of money that could invest in technology to work against anti-scalpers that isn't just a money issue, right? This is an IT issue at the end of the day, right? This is a technology issue. If only there was a, I don't know, a company making $2.28 billion in revenue for Q1, that had some money that could, uh, you know, try to invest more in this technology in a very structured and very um, <laughs> succinct way instead of just saying AI is a thing. What's what's crazy is it's literally what would take to solve this issue would be 0.03%. And obviously, I'm just like throwing this out there. But it would be like that level of like the bigger chunk of the pie right of like how much money they're bringing in if and so it's are, like god dude yeah you're yeah you're completely it's, right. it's it's insane because it is like they know that it's a solvable issue but the thing is they're so obsessed with raking in more money that they are 
kind of playing the game of like, well, let's see how long we can just do this and prolong this to where we don't have to fix this. And all of these like court cases and everything, they're like, oh, whatever. You know, they can throw money at it. They can throw money at lobbyists in order to get, like to kick the stone farther down the road. Absolutely. Because they're holding out for... They're they're hoping that people lose interest, and so the American loss like court system, as we've talked about many times, is so slow. The shit takes years and years to get passed, and by the time the shit gets passed, it's already like, you know, the problem has been persisting for like a decade, you know, and so they're just hoping to hold out a little bit longer. Just to squeeze a little bit more revenue, yeah, out of your wallet. I just think here. Here's my <laughs> thing with like this. I think you're exactly right. They're playing the long game here. We're finally at some place where we're actually seeing legislation really being involved. You know what I mean? Actually putting bills on the table, not just on the federal level, even on the state level. And the thing that I find interesting about it is you have this interesting kind of game going on where I don't, you know, look, I don't know everything, but I get a few moments when I get to say, I told you so on the show. And this is one of them. Um, so when we talked about this last, I said, I think Ticketmaster is going to be all in for the ticket transparency thing. Why? Because I guarantee you, this is what's going to happen. Let's pretend you're buying a ticket. I don't care where, let's say you're buying it for the boss. You're buying it for Bruce Springsteen. There's some law, right, that says, oh, now we have to have ticket transparency, right? And what I was saying and still holds true is that Ticketmaster is for that ticket transparency. Rapino, who's the CEO, is literally for it too. You know why? Because it looks really good on paper. But here's how the, I guarantee you this is going to work. They're going to put some law that says, hey, you have to say how much it is for these tickets to buy them, all this kind of stuff, right? Say add the tax, all this kind of stuff, right? Cool. So you click on general admission tickets for the boss and you know, they're going to be expensive, expensive. They're the boss, right? So let's say that it's like $300 and then there's like $60 in taxes. And then maybe there's like a 20 or $30 fee. Let's just round it up to $400, right? Okay, cool. You click on the little seat that you want $400. You're willing to take it, right? It's transparent, right? I guarantee you when you get to the end, it's not going to be $400. Why? Because yeah. and they're probably going to go, well, when you were trying to buy them, when they first came out, because everyone and their mother is trying to get Bruce Springsteen tickets, it was $400. So we were transparent, but the dynamic pricing changed. And now we're being transparent with you. Now that you're at checkout, it's $480. It's $500. Mm-hmm. So we've been transparent the whole time. And that's why they want the ticket transparency stuff because they go, all right, cool. We'll just throw you a bone. Here it is, right? You get ticket transparency, right? Is that really ticket transparency? Do you think that's ticket transparency? Because I don't. Um, I mean, no, I, it's not because the whole purpose, the whole problem with Live Nation and Ticketmaster's checkout sequence is the hidden fees attached to the checkout situation right I, like I, you you see that it's like a hundred dollars ends up at the end of it when you're actually paying for it 
off your credit card that it's like $200 because there's service fees attached. There's data fees. There's blah, blah, blah. There's a fee for everything for every click you do. <laughs> I just tax on I, it. And the other thing I was going to say is like, look, I got to be fair here. You know, my situation's one situation. I feel like I can come up with ways around transparency ticket stuff and saying that they were transparent like all the time. Like I could, you know, you can make that argument. Oh, it's the dynamic pricing, whatever. What if instead your ticket is locked in for two minutes at $400, right? Or three minutes or four minutes. And the webpage just doesn't load fast enough because Ticketmaster hasn't, you know, had enough money into their infrastructure, (laughs) right? And then you're at three minutes and five and you're trying to put in the whole, you know, entirety of your credit card. And then eh, now it's 600. Oh, we were transparent. It was three minutes. It was five minutes. You know what I mean? This is what I'm saying is that that's why I think Ticketmaster is for these kind of transparency bills because it's very, it's a very low bar because you could say at this point in time, we were transparent, right? There's Mm -hmm. nothing in here that says, oh, you have to provide this amount of time. You have to do that. No, none of these laws say that. They say you have to be just vaguely transparent because it's not going to be so technical and how Ticketmaster has to show that. That's why they're this is their concession. This is their get out of jail free card. All right, we'll give you this and then we'll walk away. Um I think that it, it that's ludicrous, which is why I'm really this is the thing that I'm interested in the Boston Swift Act specifically. Um that they say they want clear disclosures of refund policies. I would love for them to define that and have that. I think it'd be great if it was required that at the end it goes, we're also sending you the refund policy in a very clear, succinct way. This is how you refund your ticket, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I think that the transparency in the number of tickets and the cost of the ticket that will be offered is another thing. How vague is it? You know, if you look up, how many times have you tried to look up how many seats are in a venue, right? And then you try to buy the tickets and you're like, that doesn't feel like it matches up. It feels like a quarter of these tickets are available. They don't tell you that kind of stuff, you know, because it'll be like, let's look up Nissan Stadium in Nashville, right? Let's see. Nissan Stadium. Nissan Stadium capacity, right? Nissan Stadium's capacity is 69,143, right? Let's say you put up a stage in there. That means about mm, maybe a fifth of the stage, a quarter of those seats you can't sell right? Cause it's behind the stage or it's really dirty and they do sell it. Right. Um, that's less tickets. Let's say wait, how many credit card companies and deals are there, right? Where they just give company, you know, stuff to be like, Hey, every capital one rewards member can buy these tickets. So we're going to reserve them for capital one members. Right. It's so vague because the supply is mm-hmm. there. It kind of makes sense. At least when you get to a smaller, you know, scenario and it's a big artist, let's say like, a small theater, like a residency stuff, and it's like abnormally expensive. It's like three grand, four grand a ticket. That makes sense because the, the supply is so low and you kind of understand that. But what I think a lot of people don't understand sometimes is that the supply could be really low for the general public to buy tickets, right? The amount of tickets that are reserved for just, you know, hey, we want to keep these seats open because we have, you know, special people that might come in and have this or who we're offering, uh, you know, our vendors like an opportunity to buy box tickets. And so you know, all that kind of stuff takes away tickets from you. And you should have the right to know that, I think. Um, you don't have to know who it is. I think you should have a general, oh, okay, like there's only like 4,000 tickets here, right? 
There's only not to yeah. be like Nissan Stadium, but like if you know Nissan Stadium was like we only have thirty thousand tickets available. That's half as much as I thought I was going to be able to buy. You know what I mean? And then the last one I think is very important on here is the transferability. Joe, have you ever tried to transfer a concert ticket? It's the worst. It's the fucking worst. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it dip, it depends. Like I I it's easy when it's like a a ticketing thing like Eventbrite or Dice or something like that where it's more of like you just have an email with the ticket on it. Oh boy, guess like what company can, I don't hear saying that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, not our boy Live Nash. He's not doing it. He's holding on for dear life on those tickets. It's he's like, changing those QR codes. It's he insane, is, dude. He's fighting the good fight against the scalpers. I cannot believe it. Like, it is so difficult to do that. And then, like, usually you got to go to, like, other than calling Live Nation support, it's either that or you got to go to Will Call and just beg and be like, I have all of the things. Help me. This is the person. This is me. We are changing. And it's like, it should not be this difficult. It should not be this difficult to do it. You know what I mean? It, it's insane. Like, why do I have to, you know, do I have to provide my passport here to get, you know, my ticket changed? What is going on? Um, but yeah, that's the craziest part. And at the end of the day, there's one thing I want to hit on about this AI thing. Because other than, you know, the vagueness and how terrible the statement that was of like, ooh, we could improve an AI. Um, I think I, some I of the other see. ways that they're saying are insane. Um, he said, okay, I, I have to read this correctly because I was like, this sounds like a nightmare. Um, <laughs> he goes, ticketing is a complicated, and this is Birch told who's the uh, president and CFO. He goes, uh, ticketing is a complicated customer service because when fans need, have a need, they usually need it right now like any other business on earth. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> I can't wait till tomorrow because I've got a show tonight or I've got an issue that has to get resolved. Using AI to help inform that will be great. So these are some of the things that they can help out with either more efficient or be more efficient at our jobs. Imagine you're just trying to get a refund and you have to go through a robot computer that's like, welcome to Ticketmaster. Would you like to hear all of our shows? Would you like to you basically know to every venue? Would you like... This is where I'm afraid AI is going, is to going, hey, we do have tools. You could totally get a refund. You just got to go through this terrible phone system that is not developed at all. We're not putting money towards it because that's how we get our 89% year-over-year increase in revenue. Um, and because it makes it hard for you to, to take up. money from us. Yeah, we expect you to give up before getting to the finish line. And the best part of like the whole thing is you have no nothing you can go, oh, I'll just buy tickets from somewhere else. No, you won't. There's nowhere else. You know why? Because you're not allowed to have, all these venues are not allowed to have other agreements with ticketing companies that are either owned by Live Nation or they're banned. Or they play the politics game here, and they have been alleged before of playing the game of being like, hey, we're not going to, you know, bring our live nation shows, which most of the artists are over there unless you uh, get a ticket master. You know what I mean? Um, so that that's, that's my issue here is I'm really afraid that in the same vein as when I was talking about the idea of being like, Oh, it was the correct price at that time. And using that as the scapegoat, I feel like AI is the other one 
that they're going to be yeah. like, they're going to make some giant robot that makes it so hard to, you know, oh, you got to call on the phone to get Ticketmaster. Or, oh, you know what? You got to email this robot. And um, we're just not going to develop it well. I just love that AI is the excuse for all of these companies. Like, it's like, oh, but like AI is going to fix it. And it's just like, it's it truly is just kicking it down the road even more. Well, and the funniest part what, about it's the funniest Sorry, what's, part about what's crazy this. for me is is like AI is such a new construct. It's such a new thing, and it might change the internet. It might take a lot a while to change it, you know. And but these companies are kind of diving headfirst into it and like just acting like this is going to be the thing that is going to help customer experience when we already have kind of AI working in some of these companies already. And it's not really been the most pleasurable experience uh, yet. So it's probably going to be better AI, but probably not the best, you know? Ticketing is a complicated and, customer service. That's what Birch told said, right? He's completely right. What is AI designed to do? AI is designed currently, unless Google or some other company has some secret AI. AI is designed to do capacity work that human beings can do but usually it's monotonous or, you know, takes a lot of physical toll to do, you know, something that can be algorithmic, something that can be repeated multiple times, right? Mm -hmm. Ticketmaster cannot accomplish customer service with humans. What makes you think they could do AI, right? They cannot provide the basic necessity that they already claim to which is comparable customer service and good systems that provide this right these tools should be used to make the workers life easier at Elo live nation and save the company money at the end of the day right but they can't even do it with human beings who have you know a customer service mindset and understand human beings what makes them think that they're going to solve this problem with ai that's my question. You know what I mean? That's the issue at play is that we're not, you're not even at the basic level with human beings. You're not going to automate this now. You know what I mean? This is the, that that's my issue here, right? There's a reason where AI succeeds, right? Where, Hey, go find this issue in this code 1500 times. A human being might mess up, whatever, but human beings can do that readily. And a smart enough people can do it. Live nation can barely function of doing comparable customer service when it comes to that, right? And being transparent when it comes to that. So why do you think the AI would be modeled on someone that is competent? Right? So yeah. that that that's my issue at play. And the vagueness of the whole thing is what is really getting me. You know what I mean? They He's got... It feels like he has no idea. It feels like he is just shooting from the hip and going, well, we could do this with AI. That's great. But you can't do it with humans. So until you can do that, I don't want to hear about AI, right? I want, I, and don't, don't come at me saying, oh, you know, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of resources when you're making $2 billion in revenue a year. Yeah. Right. If it, if it requires your year over year increase to go to 60% instead of 89, you need to be doing it. Right. Because that is, that, that is articulate customer service. If not, what you're admitting to me is that there is no need to innovate. 
There is no need to do it because consumers don't have another choice. Why? Because you're a monopoly, right? And so that is really, to me, one of the biggest things of self-admittance right here is the lack of clear-cut investment into solving these problems because there is no reason for Live Nation to even try to compete because they have dominance already in a monopoly. So, Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 
2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Well, I uh, can barely speak, but you can speak better than me. So, Joe, tell me what we got. What's our next story about? Well, it's going to be a bit of an update and kind of like a longer piece that we did we did years ago um but it's an update on sia's situation uh, oh yeah this movie if do you do you remember that i remember it um it's we covered this when we were still (laughs) living together and it was a nightmare then i hope it's gotten better um Um, i don't know if it's gotten too much better (laughs) so in fact it seems to be getting worse so let me you're gonna give us a little bit of a backstory about it for some of us who haven't been listening as long yeah, so um, recently on an episode of Rob Has a Podcast, uh, which is a podcast owned by People Magazine, pop artist Sia stated that she has learned recently that she is on the autism spectrum. Now, the reason we are bringing this up is because we covered Sia's 2021 movie, Music, which was the center of controversy sparked from the neurodivergent community as the actor who was cast to play a character with autism did not have autism, and people who saw early screenings stated that the work was negatively impacting the community. Sia stated to Yahoo Entertainment that she actually tried working with a beautiful young girl, nonverbal, on the spectrum, but, quote, found it unpleasant and stressful because the character was written that was written was had, like, too much, like, physical demanding uh takes uh there was a lot of like dancing segments it was very much like it seemed like it was just a music video like a long music video with like little bits of that fits from the clips i've seen in the movie yeah so side note yeah the the character has very fantastical dance sequences uh be very difficult to choreograph um but she went on quote the character is based completely off of my a neurotypical friend. He found it too stressful being nonverbal, and I made this movie with nothing but love for him and his mother, is what she stated. She later announced that the movie would be released with a warning. Quote, I promise I have been listening, she wrote on Twitter. The motion picture music will, moving forward, have this warning at the head of the movie. Music in no way condones or recommends the use of restraint on autistic people. There are aut- There are autistic occupational therapists that specialize in sensory processing who can be consulted to explain safe ways to provide uh, like appropriate deep pressure feedback to help with meltdown safety. And what she's talking about there is there is a scene in the movie that shows uh, the girl music being restrained by her caretaker and her sister. There are two different scenes to which they pin her on the ground um, in a very unsafe manner. Um, and there it's, it's like in the movie, it's like shown as like a teaching moment of like what to do. (laughs) And it's very much what you should not do. Um, because it, it has led to a lot of people dying, 
uh, from doing so. So it's it's pretty horrific, honestly, that it made it in the film. Um, but she then tweeted, I'm sorry, which was assumed to be speaking to the autism community directly, uh, but only after being very defensive on Twitter, even calling someone a bad actor after they called I remember out that. the movie. Yep, that was, yeah. that was rough. So Sia went on uh, a Twitter rampage with the movie and basically just called people out who were basically saying the movie was trash. Um, and it was a hugely bad look <laughs> PR wise for Sia because she was getting decimated um, online and she just kept doubling down and doubling down, especially in a lot of press interviews, just completely avoiding the topic and saying how oh, it's sparking uh, talking points, which she said on Jimmy Kimmel that the movie would ge- was generating a- an, quote, important conversation to have. But she did not touch on the current conversation <laughs> that was uh, being had uh, online. But since the release, the movie completely tanked, only making $645,000, which a budget with a budget of $16 million. No, uh, my God, that's so going bad. Straight, going straight to streaming. Uh, I don't even think the movie lasted a week in theaters, and it was only in Australian theaters. I, don't, I, I, I doubt that the U.S. had a major release um, for it. Uh, film critics did not like... Uh, the movie at all with Matt, Matthew Rosa of Salon calling it, quote, a baffling and patronizing cringe fest of ableist uh, minstrelsy, which is insane. <laughs> I just, that sentence, crazy. Can, we, uh, uh, but can just, we take a side note and say that's like, this is one of my favorite things ever is film critics like trying to use the most adjectives possible to show how yeah, bad a movie it is. Yeah, it's definitely like showing. It's an art. It's like, I gotta it's an fit art. this shit in there. I've, <laughs> I, I love it. it. It's an art. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Sin, uh, Sincher of Paste writing, even doing research and writing an essay on the film's problematic elements pre-release were not enough to prepare me for how harmful music is to autistic people. Jesus Christ. Uh, last year, Sia stated that she became suicidal and went to rehab during the backlash, and that is, uh, that is like since how she became aware of her own dealings with neurodivergency, stating on podcasts, uh, quote, I'm on the spectrum and I'm in recovery and whatever, this is truly what she said. I'm in recovery and whatever. Uh, there's a lot of things. For 45 years, I was like, I've got to go put my human suit on. And only in the last two years have I fully, have I become fully, fully myself. She stated that she has found relief in, quote, knowing about which neurotypicality she may or may not have. Um, which really clarifies a lot. You know, just that sentence. We really understand what's going on for sure. Um, But she then went on to state that, quote, nobody can ever know uh, and love you when you're filled with secrets and living in shame. And when we finally sit in a room full of strangers and tell them our deepest, darkest, most shameful secrets and everybody laughs along with us and we don't feel like pieces of trash for the first time in our lives and we feel seen for the first time in our lives who, uh, for what people... Who, who we actually are, and then we can start going out into the world and just operating as humans and human beings with hearts and not pretending to be anything. Uh, which oh, okay, all right. Really, 
really also clarifies <laughs> so much of what's going on. Um, now that I can say, I, personally, me personally, I haven't seen the movie. I watched the trailer. I remember watching the trailer. It's, it's rough. rough. <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going um, to say that too. It's so rough that... I can see how it sparked backlash. Uh, we're going to include the trailer again in the link below. Uh, so feel free to click on it and check it out yourself. Um, I also watched, uh, there's this guy on YouTube. He's a big creator. He like, he, he does a lot of movie reviews. He, he kind of went through his whole take of the movie. Um, and to be honest, he does a pretty great job. Um, we'll also include his take as well um, in the link below, but it is like, it's pretty, it, it's rough. It, it's, it, it's, it's rough. Um, and it's hard to, it's hard to think about them because they cut the movie a bunch of times, apparently like four or five times they were cutting this movie. It got delayed for years because of the amount of re-edits that they were doing. Um, because to be honest, I think it just was horrible. <laughs> it was a horrible premise um, with a really, really poorly executed, uh, you know, narrative. And I think that they were trying to shy away from a lot of... I, it makes me think of, like, what else was in the movie that they cut out? Because, like, what they kept in was was rough. So I can only imagine what they, what they kept out of the movie. Well, I wonder um, how they recut the comments, as well. Yeah, rearrange some of the comments scene. that I, I I was seeing about the uh, about the film. Uh, one called uh, Rune Eye commented, "I'm an autistic female, and God, it feels like someone is just making fun of me. Everything about this character is awful and hurtful. It feels so infantilizing, and like music isn't even her own person." Uh, commenter called Murder Me Harry says, "Quote: I feel bad for the actress. She has an incredibly unhealthy relationship with Sia and literally started crying on set one time because she said she felt like she was making fun of people, uh, which I double checked this. Um, and the actress who played the character music is Maddie Ziegler. Really? Um, which, yeah, Maddie Ziegler is the one. She's also in all of Sia's music videos. Um, there's a lot of controversy on that of like Sia tends to just throw roles towards Maddie. Um, there's a lot of like nepotism talk in some of that as well of like, she's just kind of taken Maddie under her wing. And to be honest, in my view, Ziegler seems to be getting kind of typecast into Sia's works. Um, so it's, it's a bit of a weird relationship that she has with Sia, but, um, Ziegler is someone who has uh, has definitely had experiences with Sia, uh, as we've stated, but she's cried on set. She definitely did. Uh, she stated that, like Sia stated this in a video uh, with Variety, <laughs> that Ziegler came to set crying because she felt like she was having a hard time with the role and that she felt like she was just making fun of people with um, neurodivergency and like it was just not great and basically Sia's response was oh it's fine don't worry you're doing great and they kind of just kept going um 
A commenter named Helena said, quote, it's kind of ironic that this movie with all the bright colors and loud sounds might actually make it difficult for people on the spectrum to even watch. Um, and the movie is currently rated one star on Letterboxd. How many stars are there? Five? Uh, yeah. Okay. Out of five. All right. I'm glad it wasn't uh, ten. And you can't go under one if you're, if you're rated. Oh, rated. okay. <laughs> you can't go under one. This is the minimum. All right. Oh man! Yeah, uh, you um, can tell I'm so not a letterbox man. It's uh, it's rough to say the least. Um, it is uh, like I'm Colin. I'm I'm just wanting your take. Do you think that this is bullshit that she's saying this? So I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. I've been known at some points to be a little bit too nice and caring. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna still give it. I will just say that it's very convenient timing. Um, I'm hoping when we last talked about this, this was like before the movie came out and all this kind of stuff. And one of the main critiques for Sia was, you know, you are making, you know, this movie about a community that we don't think you fully understand about being, you know, neuroatypical, which we don't think that you have a solid grasp on because you were currently at that time, not neuroatypical. Right. And even then, you know, people who make movies about different communities that they're not a part of, it takes a lot of, you know, research and looking from the outside. And I remember when we talked about it last time, there was a lot of controversy with Sia basically not listening to a lot of these uh, different members of the community that had come to help her with the filming um, and stuff like that. And so. Here's my, you know, altruistic, I hope everything is, you know, better for humanity brain going. I'm hoping that that had caused Sia to go, why do I feel so drawn to this cause? Why do I feel this way? You know, all this stuff look deep inside. And then she decided, you know, along with her rehab, which I, I don't know what her rehab was for and nobody really needs to know, but maybe through that self journey, she figured out maybe part of the reason that she is drawn to making a movie about a character that's neuroatypical is because she found out that she is neuroatypical with, you know, the help of some medical professionals, right? Well, and, she found that out, it seems like, after all of this controversy. So that's what I'm saying. It's like I'm hoping it out that before I'm hoping that in maybe a dire strait of like, hey, I'm gonna go to rehab, I'm gonna do this stuff that like she kind of dug deep and then talked to medical professionals and they were like, actually, you are neuroatypical. Maybe that's why you had the drive in the first place to make this movie, right? That's what I'm hoping mm -hmm. is that maybe a positive from the controversy, let's say, right? Is that maybe that maybe one person figured out, oh, wow, I, I really am neuro neurotypical, right? So that's what I hope. Is it convenient as hell, though? Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. and would very much destroy the, one of the biggest criticisms of Sia, which is that she at that time was not, you know, identifying as neuroatypical, right? Um, regardless, which would have been a good defense if she said that, right? I mean, I feel like she would have been like, oh guys, like this is why I'm making this film. But instead it was like, 
Oh, my friends, my two friends who are who are the only people I consulted to make this movie are the reasons why I'm right making this movie, and I have you know, like it just seems. And like you can't rule out you can't yeah. rule out that the decision making in the way that she went about this may be from you know the way that she views the world if she really is neurotypical right, um, but. At the same time, to say that it's not convenient after, you know, it feels like, and now let's go into the more, you know, uh, conspiratorial side of my brain. To say that she had the defense of, well, I'm just trying to make a sweet movie for my two friends that had, you know, who are neuroatypical and stuff and celebrate them in the community. And then maybe eventually having all the backlash, she's like, fine that's not going to work as a accurate thing for this. What could I do to step up? Like the reason why this is personal to me, therefore the reason why I have the ability and right to make this movie. What if I'm neuro atypical? Right. And, um, mm-hmm. again, we can't, we don't know for sure. Right. But to say that it's not convenient is insane. And to be honest, she is a part of the movie. Right, like she is, you know, the creator She's in, in the, the movie. movie. Right, but like, <laughs> she has a cameo. <laughs> the point Where? that I'm trying to say is like, what amazes me is like, she had to get funding for this. She had other people involved. You know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, it, it feels to me, especially with the amount of recuts that a lot of people are like, you need to put the brakes on this, right? And I don't know where they were getting the money from. Maybe see had it personally, or maybe some other people still believed in it from the beginning. I don't know, but it's amazing to me sometimes, especially with media like this, that's perceived so badly as a, such a terrible portrayal of a community that it does get to the point of being made right. Because it mm-hmm. seems like from step one of this movie, everyone was like, um, no, like don't do this immediately. Yeah. And, it's amazing to me that it got this far, you know, through all of these barriers of, I have to get funding. We have to do shooting. We have to get actors. We have to, you know what I mean? Like all of these different points that definitely could have been the plug. And clearly a lot of people in this community would have been like, good, good idea. You know what I mean? Like it wouldn't have been like, Oh, why did you get, you know, it would, it seems like from online and the public perception of this movie, it would have been very fast. Oh, thank God they're not doing the movie. So Mm -hmm. the thing about this, that's interesting from an artist's perspective is (laughs) Sia's getting to the point with this movie that more people are going to remember her for this than the artistry. Yeah. Like I agree. And that, that is honestly the part that um, if I was, an artist like that, it would scare me that even if somehow I had this inert, like could not move personality that I'm trying my best. This is going to be a beautiful, de- de- you know, depiction for the neuro neuro atypical community. Right. And I could not get away from that. That's the thing that would bother me the most is that, you know, everyone forever will remember me as the person that made this movie. You know what I mean? More than, my other things. And like, to be honest, like I gotta be real here. See, has not had like a thousand hits. It's not like she's everywhere all the time. I haven't heard about her since we started talking about this. I think a year or two ago, you know, with this movie. 
And I went, oh, yeah, Sia's coming back or whatever. And this is going to be like from the lot of fanfare and stuff like that. The thing that most people, when you go, oh, Sia, yeah, she made that terrible movie. You know what I mean? Like, and I don't think it's that big yet, but it definitely is going to be a mark on her career that like, no matter what, if she was like, I'm going to go sing Chandelier somewhere else. It's been like 20 years. People are going to go up to the stage and literally go, screw you. You made this movie. We hate you. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's the thing for Sia that she'll have to deal with. And I think, you know, I haven't seen the movie. I haven't done it. It may be such terrible depiction that, you know, even I would go, Right, rightfully so, right? But it's definitely a noteworthy yeah. part of her career that's not going away by any means. Um, she yeah. had every which, moment to stop and decided not to. Um, yeah, she, which I do want to touch on as well. Uh, I think it's important for us to also touch on the situation of when it comes to public backlash and how it can really hurt somebody as well because it, it's obvious that Sia had issues. I mean, she had to go to rehab. She had to like figure that stuff out. And like, I don't, I don't necessarily think she's lying about that stuff. I'm like, who, you know, like I also agree with you, Colin. Like I like to see the, I like to give people the benefit of the, of the doubt. Like maybe she did discover something. Um, it's a little worrisome to me that she's being so she's like giving the information, but not giving enough to where it's like, it, it's almost it's it feels I hate enough to say this but it's it's giving like my girlfriend goes to another school you know <laughs> where it's like I get it's what you mean. it's some information but it's not enough to be like reliable and and so i think it's for a lot of people especially if she's trying to rekindle her relationship with the autism and neurodivergent communities it's really important for her to be transparent as a public figure in the situation. But these statements in my mind are, are very not helping. The right. Case. Absolutely. And I, I, I think the other thing is, is we want to get like real capitalism economics on it. She was given $16 million and came back with 645,000. Right, I'm sure yeah. she had business I mean, partners. Sia's not I'm sure gonna, she had other people. No but. studio's gonna hire her to direct. Yeah, if she wanted to make another movie ever, I think that's dead in the water. If she wanted to make a TV show, yeah, that's unless dead she in the water. wants to self fund it or something. Even, you know, even this do, is going to but. spill into her music career, right? Like because again, this movie was really propelled by the fact that Sia had made it, and her, you know, she is behind it, right? So like she's probably going to have more difficulty everywhere else. You know, Hey, we want a couple, you know, we want a couple more tens of grand, you know, of money. And so we could have more money for tour support. No, we don't know if you can get that money back. Right. Um, we want like, you know, a couple more thousand so we can make this record really nice. No, we don't know if the Sia record's going to do well. Right. Like that's the mm -hmm. thing about it is that I think some people think, well, she'll just, and, and a lot of people think this with artists is like, it's so segmented. And I'm like, the only reason that she has this opportunity is that she has this inert fame from, you know, being a musician in the first place. Right. It's not like she's some indie filmmaker. No, we, uh, the people know her as Sia. She's the girl with the crazy hair and the chandelier. So I guarantee you some in investments were made going, well, she's got a lot of weight behind her, you know, and everything. And this will maybe go to this community and flourish. So uh, let's invest in her. And so I think what's going to happen too with this for Sia for rightfully 
and so and you know maybe even not rightfully so is that uh some people are not going to want to give her any chance whatsoever with any sort of money at all because one they don't want to be associated with her and two they don't know if they can get a return at the end of the day so like that's that's kind of the scary thing with sometimes with these artists with like going outside of your lane like and not to be like artists have to be in their lane but like being going outside of the general media that you're famous for is this is where it gets kind of rocky right because you don't have the expertise mm-hmm. in it it's not tomatoes tomatoes making an album is not making a movie making a tv show is not making a movie you know what i mean like and so it, it doesn't go hand in hand like that and so you can still ruin parts of your image, even though it's in a different medium and consumers will associate it together. Right. I, I think that for Sia, she's going to have a rough hill from now on, you know, like I think that she's going to have a huge time. I mean, especially given the financial situation, I don't know how much of her own money was in this movie. Right. You know what I mean? It, we, she could have gone from a situation where she was comfortable. She had a couple hits, you know what I mean? She maybe made some records and toured and made a good amount of money, but she movies will bankrupt you. You know what I mean? I don't know how much of the 16 million's hers, right? And not to be like she doesn't have the money, but like also she's not the biggest artist ever. She's, you know, a na- a pretty famous name. I mean, she's she's very famous in the pop world But still. 16 I, million I, in hard cash in liquid yeah, assets. But, you know, you difficult. have to also think she's been touring for decades. Like there's a level there. Right. And you know how most cases, you you know how much in these situations, these artists aren't, I mean, she might've self-funded. You might be right, but I'm sure a lot of the majority of it is through a studio because she's a big name and having a big name, writing the music for a movie called music, the studio is probably going to be like, yeah, fuck it. (laughs) I hope come on board. (laughs) But you know, like I could totally see if maybe, and you know, with the amount of recuts and stuff like that, I could totally see people being like, yeah, um, we're backing away from this. Um, we're taking the money with us. You know what I mean? Or we demand. Yeah. It doesn't seem, I, I mean, it's hard to say, like, it seems like a lot of the back story is, I think, I think a lot of the recuts were happening because of some of the backlash, to be honest, with the trailer coming out. Well, I would uh, imagine because if then, I'm in it, like not to be like, just like, oh, we need to do this because it's the right thing to do. Like if I get really capitalistic on you, like if I'm the studio making this money and all this is going, I'm going, see it. We got to we got to do something with this movie. Like I, we're not going to make any money on this movie if we don't recut it. Right. Like that's yeah. the other part of it. And so, um, yeah, I and, just, and there's a level of that too of like where, like which I didn't even touch on when she partnered with Autism Speaks after all of the controversy. Yeah, that was a huge uh, deal. And then that was a huge controversy in itself because for those of you who don't know, Autism Speaks is like a lot of people relate to it as like the PETA of the neurodivergent world where it's like they don't. It, it's like I would I would say most people who are neurodivergent or in the autism community do not like autism speaks. Um, it's a very polarizing like or like nonprofit. And she only did partner that with them after the controversy, which is like another. Uh, it's just it's it. It really 
I hate to say it, it uh, like it truly was a train wreck, like the lead up to this movie. Um, I just and I'm it, like literally it, looking at like the the cast and it's like insane. Like Kate Hudson is one of the lead people. In yeah, like Leslie Odom Jr. is in this movie. You know what I mean? Like it's good, but I will say, you know, they're great actors. Horrible writing. I you can even just tell in the trailer. Well, of course, that struggling. But that's what I'm saying is like you know it's this is not you know some indie film that was like sixty million dollars. I was like there were big names on here that thought oh this is gonna be a big one. This is gonna be good for us. You know what I mean? No, not at all. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I you know I ah oh man. I mean you never know. I you know it it could be a thing of like. Which, you know, she could have been trying to do something good and then it just ended up twisting. I think what ultimately, and maybe this is a lesson for any artists who are listening, who maybe will blow up. Um, it's sometimes good to just be silent for a little while uh, than it is to just keep going. fight and be defensive. You know what I mean? I, I think because 100% you're right. I think it would have been interesting to, and you know, in a hypothetical if she, you know, all the backlash, all the stuff. And then she came back with more of a succinct, you know, period of silence and just went, Hey guys, we took a lot of time. We re-edited the movie. Um, I found out some things about myself. I, you know, hope it's better for the community. I, I imagine this movie probably would have been considered even more positive than it was. than Or just the, done the work and reshot the movie. That would work too. Yeah. Like something like, you know, just yeah, the perception given by, you know, the person almost narrating its creation is as important as mm-hmm. the movie itself. You know what I mean? So I, um, God, like, yeah, there's nothing really more to say here. I just think that, uh, whew, it's, uh, going to be a rough ride for Sia for a while. I think, um, I think she's yeah. really done a I mess think- for her career. And she's clearly got her own problems she needs to deal with as well still. So I hope that she, you know, continues well in that recovery period that she's trying, but it, this is not going to help with that recovery in any way. I almost am like, if you truly want to recover, maybe just stay away from the press, you know? Yeah, that's true. Like, just don't like, just, you know, hang out for a while longer. (laughs) (laughs) No rush to jump back in. But yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, no human should feel the need to, you know, have self-harm. Um, and I, if you're going through that or, um, you know, people who are suffering from that, I am so sorry. And it's very much, it's very important that people understand that they aren't alone. And I do think we tend, we, 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 me and Colin are very critical of, of celebrities on this podcast. We are. Um, I think a lot of people are, but we do have to remember at the end of the day that they are people as well who have feelings, family, friends. Um, and it's important to, you can be critical, but I think there's a fine line between criticism and, and just harassment. And I think people should be careful. Right. (laughs) That's all I'll say, you know? Don't go on Sia's thing and just like torment her. That's, you know, I think she's learned her lesson, hopefully. But yeah, uh, 
you know, ultimately, it's such a complicated subject. I mean, fucking Harvard professors are talking about like celebrity and dealing with, uh, you know, public backlash in the modern age and how it really affects us because it affects both of us on the aisle at the end of the day. So I don't know. Anyway. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time your time not just to go back to school but to come back and move forward with purdue global purdue's online university for working adults start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy last year by making investments from coast to coast investments like acquiring america's largest biogas producer archaea energy and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global... 
you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. On that high note, Colin, what have you been listening to this week? Let's see. Uh, I've been listening to... Uh, I don't know if I talked about this before, but um, I was listening to one of my favorites, which is Joe Jackson, which I had mentioned before. Um, but one of my favorites is uh, you can't get what you want till you know what you want, uh, which is a pretty good title. But the horn, like it's such a clean recording, which is like one of the things that I'm like blown away by. It's just got like this really, really big horn part in the beginning. And he plays the saxophone on it with the, ba- like if you watch a live video of Joe Jackson, he's doing it. It's very sassy and all that kind of stuff and uh, just really funky. So one of my favorites. And then I've been uh, going back to uh, Little Dark Age by MGMT. Um, one, of oh, my, yeah. one of my favorite of their albums wise. And uh, I remember when it came out when we were in college and uh, one of our friends actually turned to me and goes, have you heard this album? I go, no. And it was like one of my, it's like my epitome, like college rock album. So I just remember being in college and it feels like every story where it's like, then this dude turned to me and was like, have you heard this record? Turn this record on. And I was like, Oh my God, baby. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it feels like. Uh, but I, re- I like it a lot. Um, I actually, uh, I think, uh, honestly, little dark age, the song, which is on little dark age, got like kind of murdered by TikTok. So I'm kind of done with that song. I just don't like it as much. I never really liked it as much. I think the singles around them have always been good. Like the first one, she works out too much is one of my favorite. And then when you die is also another, of my favorite. And then my third favorite on there is me and Michael, which is uh, you know, hilarious. Me so. and Michael. Right, exactly. Uh, and so I always joke. It's a song about the office. It's about Dwight with Michael. Um, <laughs> That's what I always think about too. <laughs> anyway, Joe, what have you been listening to? I've been listening to a single called Blue Jay from Runner, uh, which they're kind of blowing up right now. Um, it's cool. It's like it's like indie folk stuff. Um, it's it's got my favorite thing, which like I I've always used to hate banjo in songs, but recently like the banjo delay like um, reverb thing is so sick. Joe's go to uh, reforms on his face. Yeah, I know. It's just coming back. It's really just blazing through uh, my chin right now. <laughs> but um, it's it's really cool. It's it's very Dijon-y, um, if people mm-hmm. uh, like Dijon. Uh, so check it out. I've also been listening to a new single called Say Hi from Medium Build, um, which I got the pleasure to shoot the cover for that. I'm very proud of all the visuals coming out for that. Um, so... You know, just a little little plug in there uh, for myself, but also amazing song. Uh, so definitely check it out. And then uh, I've been listening to America Has a Problem uh, by Beyonce and Kendrick Lamar, um, which is a sick track. It's, it's very like, it's, I feel like everybody's been waiting for this combination to happen. <laughs> like <laughs> Beyonce and Kendrick making a song. I and really, so it's like people, finally there. People manifested that. 
People really did. And honestly, it's kind of like, man, this should have happened years ago. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's sick. I mean, especially Kendrick's lines in it are, are some of his best work. Uh, so you should definitely check it out. It's a very sick track. Um, and yeah, that's about it. But um, yeah, I guess uh, I guess we'll go now. This is awkward. Um, do you yeah, want to leave first um, or me? I can. Uh, you you go first. You go first. I, right. I I want to talk to the audience by myself for a second. Hey guys, um, if you like this podcast, uh, please subscribe um, the Biz Day Podcast. Please leave uh, a rating. Um, maybe even go to our YouTube page. I know we haven't posted anything, but maybe we'll post something in the future. Um, also, uh, you can follow us at the Biz Day Podcast wherever you get your social media fix. And email us at the Biz Day Podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm pretty you sure you're going to see me next week in my underwear on that camera. <laughs> my camera died fully transparent damn all right i know it. it's such a bummer i'm gonna end it infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 live march 20th from the edge at hudson yards in new york city Featuring a performance by John Batiste, the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Saturdays are for sunshine, especially for your ears. With another election, ongoing wars, and natural disasters, we know the news can be a lot to take in. And we're determined to share the bright side of humanity. Every Saturday, take a breather from the headlines and hear all the uplifting happenings across the world with Five Good Things, a new weekend edition of CNN Five Things. That means you can find this goodness in the same feed as Five Things. Listen to Five Good Things on the iHeartRadio app.